buyer forms a, a special purpose merger sub. Okay. The merger sub merges with and into the target company. The target company survives. So that's beneficial because the target company's contracts have change of control provisions where if there's a, uh, a, a change of ownership or, sorry, a, a transfer of the target or its assets, those counterparties have approval rights. So the contract isn't moving, it's staying with the target, the target's staying in existence. So after this is all, after this is all said and done, the buyer wholly owns the target. The target shareholders are owning uh, shares of the buyer, or maybe they just got cash. And the benefit of the merger is if you get the requisite um, shareholder consent of your shareholders, even if some people dissent, the deal still happens. Even if some people vote no, the deal still happens. And it's automatic. You take a piece of paper called the certificate of merger, you file it in Delaware, by operation of law, boom, you're done. You have to get the shareholder consents and you've negotiated the merger agreement. It's very quick. So the shareholders of the target corporation continue to be shareholders? Only if the consideration in the merger is shares of buyer. If they're getting cash, they're just cashed out. It, 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 so in other words, the consideration can be all buyer stock, a combination of cash and stock, or just cash. And so assets, it's flexible. And the assets and liabilities of the target corporation? Stay with the target, they buy everything. So it's the whole company. And in that sense, it's like the share purchase. They're buying the whole company, assets, liabilities. Okay? That's the merger. Okay, so here are some key terms. Um, obviously, you know, when you, and, and yeah? And that last one is the um, target then um, wholly owned subsidiary? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And so what are the key terms of an acquisition, however it's structured? And, and these um, sometimes get reflected in a, uh, a term sheet, like a letter of intent. It gets signed like around the time the non-disclosure agreement is, is uh, signed. The benefit for doing that is that you can, if you reach agreement on these key terms, then hopefully you spend less time negotiating the definitive merger agreement, which is a longer document and more you know, legal fees to do that. So it, it talks about the structure, how the money gets paid, the timing, are there regulatory approvals that you need? So it's signing and then closing condition satisfied, then closing. Um, in the acquisition agreement, the company gives reps and warranties. Um, that is the serves the disclosure purpose for the buyer, and it says you and some, and and often they want the founder to be jointly and separately liable on the company's reps. Not always, but sometimes. So the company's saying all these things are true about the company, no problem. And then there's a thing called a disclosure schedule where any exceptions to any of those statements get disclosed so the buyer can't sue the sellers for a breach of a rep and warranty. So that gets lots of negotiation about that. There are things called covenants, which are obligations that actually both parties have between signing and closing. The company has to keep operating its business in the ordinary course. The company will go and get shares.
approvals, the, the parties will cooperate about regulatory approvals, um, closing conditions are very important. At what point does the buyer have a right to just walk away from the deal? There's usually a drop dead date where if we've gone on for three months and we're still waiting for some third party approval, the buyer might want the right to terminate or the company might want the right to terminate. So what happens in the event of termination? Is there a termination fee paid by the buyer or the target? That's called a reverse termination um, and so those are things which all get negotiated as part of the transaction. And then there might be post-closing covenants and, very importantly, indemnification. Indemnification is, so it's the buyer's recourse against the sellers. Uh, and that's typically structured where there's an escrow. A portion of the purchase price is paid into an escrow. Somewhere 10 to 20% maybe of the purchase price, and that's available for recovery. If there's a breach of, after closing, something turns out not to be true that the seller said, the company said, the buyer gets to keep a portion of what it was gonna pay to the sellers as damages. And, and so that indemnification and what's covered is usually breaches of reps, covenants, and then the, uh, Often, the, although not always, the escrow is the sole source of recovery for indemnification. And indemnification is the sole remedy that the buyer has to recover for claims if something goes wrong, except in the case of fraud or intentional wrongdoing. Questions? Okay, this is some more detail about um, about the acquisitions, you know, structure. I think I um, actually, there's one thing. So, what is an earnout? Earnout is um, an earnout is a case where the parties um, don't agree on valuation. They don't agree on the purchase price that the company should be sold for. And so, what the buyer is essentially saying is, "All right, I will pay X at closing, and I will pay another amount Y later." If you satisfy, you, the management team, the company, satisfy certain milestones That's right. after the closing, it could be tied to revenue. In the case of um, uh, a uh, life sciences company, it might be tied to future FDA approval over a new drug that's in the process of development. And so you can imagine that these are, earnouts are highly negotiated because if you're the buyer, you want to have the flexibility to operate the business the way you want after the closing, right? You own it. Mm -hmm. But think about it from the management's perspective. Wait a minute. So I'm supposed to meet these milestones. Well, what if they cut off funding in my company after we close? Or what if they, the business plan changes and they're not prioritizing the same? What, what happened to my earnout? You know, because they're not allocating the resources to support our work to be able to meet the target. Right, and so you have to have the, um, the covenants around that are, again, complex and take a lot of time to negotiate. So, um, but that can be a way to sign a transaction. You just have to prepare ahead of time and you're spending more time to negotiate these. Ideally, from the seller in terms of closing timing, timing 
you want simultaneous sign and close. So you've gotten all the shareholder consents, any third party consents, you got them. You sign, they pay the money when you sign. Mm -hmm. You don't have a signing and then a closing later because then there's deal completion risk. And you want to have the, if there is a period in between as short as possible okay. between those. What's the risk in that interim? Well, uh, the risk is you might not get the approvals you need and you've, you know, you've signed a deal with the buyer, you've spent all this, you know, all your time, management time on this deal, and then you, you know, you come 60 days later and, you know, you don't, you can't get this regulatory approval or this other event that you need this, um, maybe this litigation you had to sell doesn't happen, the buyer says, see ya, I'm out of here. So, so you generally, you know, closing risk is a big thing for the board to, um, to think about. Uh, okay, so, so reps and warranties, these are just some things that are typically covered. Obviously, the capital structure is very important for the buyer. What are the material contracts of the company? They want to understand those. What are the financials like of the company? How is the financial reporting? What about the IP? Is it all there? Do they did all the employees sign over all their rights to the IP so the company actually owns what it says it owns? Mm -hmm. um, all these things get covered. There might be deal-specific um, subject matters as well. Compliance, like you're not selling stuff to Russia or China or other countries that you're not allowed to be doing. Um, now. The way liability gets limited, uh, and this is kind of technical, but think of it, just, just remember as a founder to ask your lawyer, are there materiality limitations? That's one thing. So, you know, you're disclosing material contracts. Well, all my contracts? No, it's contracts above a certain dollar amount. So you don't have to spend as much work on the disclosure schedule. Two, knowledge. So basically, you can either give a rep flat without a knowledge limitation or with a knowledge limitation. What's the difference? Flat means this is the case, no matter what. The fact that you didn't know that it wasn't true doesn't matter. They can still sue if it turns out not to be true. If it's limited by knowledge, that means that if you were aware of it actually, so knowledge means if I'm the buyer's counsel, well, I want you and you and you and you and you, all the key management, that's what knowledge means. If any one of you knows about some fact that's not in the disclosure schedule, and it should have been, I can sue and withhold that against her. Understand? So knowledge is, knowledge is an important thing. Is the escrow from the buyer? The, yes, the, um, the uh, funds for the escrow get deposited into the escrow account is run by a third party. There's an escrow, it's called an escrow agent. Who gets the interest? Depends. It's, it, it's negotiated. Mm -hmm. Usually it's buyer. So there are two functions that reps and warranties fulfill. One is the disclosure function, so the buyer can see. This is all the all the exceptions to what you told me was absolutely true. Well, actually, all these things are exceptions are. That's one thing. Two is, if you have a gap between signing and closing, 
the reps are given as of signing, and they also have to be true as of closing. So if something changed, the seller has to disclose it, and the buyer may or may not, oh, this is a material change. This is a material adverse change. I'm not going to. So the reps have to be satisfied at both points. So it's a trigger for whether closing happens. Um, as it says in the third um, point, buyer has ability to terminate if the reps and warranties are inaccurate as of closing. Mm -hmm. And then I talked about the identification. Breach of rep, that's the basis that the uh, buyer can sell. There's a distinction between US deals and Generally, reps terminate at closing. So there's nothing like after the closing that the founders are still responsible for. There's something called a claims period or survival period. What's that? That means that um, for a six months or a year, if the buyer finds something after closing that it can show was true, you know, a, an exception that should have been disclosed at closing and it wasn't, that they can sue for that. But after six months or after a year, if they find it later, done. No liability, because you waited too long. The idea is that, look, you're running a business, you should know there's a problem very quickly. Usually not longer than 12 months, sometimes 18 months for the claims period. Um, I talked about interim operating